Hi, Jody. Couple of things I wanted to ask you. So, in regards to Tina, um, she no show, but I <laughs> sorry. Uh, there you go. Um, no, let me see. Welcome, ladies. Welcome, Kim. Welcome, Chef. I'm going to uh, rename Jody. For that, uh, Jody. Hope I spelled it correctly. There you are. And Shaz is here, very nice. So we got um, three continents, Australia, UK, US so far. I'm sure more will come on. I always like to get all, um, all five representations. All five and welcome Bernice. So nice to have you. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're both in our kitchens. <laughs> I'm in my kitchen, you're in your kitchen. <laughs> That's so funny. Looking great. Yeah. Very good. Yes, I'm actually outside of my headquarters. I'm in uh, California. I had to check on some tenants. So, uh, yeah, I'm close to the beach. Um, Gorgeous. There you go. It's over there. The ocean is there. There you go. <laughs> so nice. Yeah, I'm outside too. Today is a beautiful day in New York. And I'm grilling vegetables, you will be happy to know. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Beautiful. They are delicious on the grill. Delicious. We put a little bit of balsamic vinegar on and we are, it's beautiful. Delicious. So, love my, my outside. Snack if we're in the Big Apple. <laughs> yeah. In New York State. I'm upstate New York. Yes, you are. You are. That's why you have. Uh, so, so, so that's, that's our grill. Where is it? Wow. The outside, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when the weather is nice, it's fun. Nice. Steve, looking good. Uh, welcome. I just made you a co-host. Thank you. Bravo, bravo. And um, I'll... Um, so you have all... All, um, all right. I can uh, share the PowerPoint if you want. Or you can. You have okay, a let me let me find it here. This foundation here. covers everything, but still looks like skin. Insane. Oh, looks so mean? natural. Okay. I took that 90 second oh, yeah, quiz yeah, yeah. So on their that. website to match me perfectly. It feels like okay, okay, wrong video. Um <laughs> <laughs> all those ads, huh? There is an ad blocker. Um, this is for everybody to know. Um, so if you ever want to install it. Okay. So let's see. Um, perfect. <clears throat> we get started in a moment. So why so that why we um, we know we know our audience, you all get to know one another. Let's write two things in the chat. One, where you're connecting from, and two, mm, you know, a, a passion of yours, a passion of yours, a passion of yours. Okay, great. So, okay, I see you're sharing it already. Fantastic. Fantastic, Steve. So I won't share mine. You got it. 
We are in business. Okay, let's see what we got. So uh, Chez is from London, helping people discover their dream career. Beautiful, beautiful. That sounds lovely. Let's see anybody else. Uh, Shannon, Nevada, helping seniors. Uh, helping seniors with what, Shannon? Uh, save money. Great. Um, and then we got Michael from Melbourne, passionate about teamwork, making gardens awesome, wonderful. So, got Dr. Tivki, welcome. So, <clears throat> Dr. Pizzini help uh, businesses thrive in any economy. Okay, please share. From and uh, to your passion. Okay, great. And um, we'll be starting momentarily. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm ready whenever you are. Okay, great, great. Okay, let's give like one more minute for everybody to hop on. Was it easy? Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. So far, so good. <laughs> okay. Great, Bernice uh, from New York, passion helping people lose weight, beautiful, and maintain it. Kim uh, from Melbourne, parenting coach, nice, nice. Okay, Dr. Varada, let us know where you're from and your, um, one of your passions. I'm from Atlanta and my passions are very much too many, I guess. <laughs> but one of them is Tower Garden and also helping uh, age gracefully and purposefully. Wonderful, wonderful. Very good. So Bernice, you may want to connect with Dr. Divki later. Uh, she knows a lot about uh, gardening. She's on your same time zone. Okay, great. And Jody is in real estate from Las Vegas. I think everybody else. Okay, so... Um, welcome, welcome, welcome to World Business Mastermind. This is a complimentary event for all of my beloved clientele around the world so that you can connect, have extra resources and truly uh, thrive uh, now and in any, any time. So welcome, Dr. Bruce. Um, let us know in the chat box um, where you're connecting from and your passion. And everybody, I'd love to introduce you to uh, Mr. Gandhara. He is um, a wealth of information when uh, it comes to culture, uh, culture for uh, both your personal life at home and your career and business at work. He has mastered the topic and has worked with Fortune 500 companies and uh, worked with scientists, uh, mastered tools to really assess where you're at and improve it. And um, what struck me about Steve is his huge heart 
he has um, adopted something like, I lost count, but a dozen of kids that yeah. were orphans and provided a beautiful home uh, along with his wife uh, for them. So thank you, Steve, for really helping um, people in need. Uh, you're amazing. You're an inspiration. And my wife, my wife deserves the credit, Elena. It, it was all, all my wife. I came along to support her and got the benefit of the process. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So, well, Steve is located in Texas and I'll let him uh, welcome, welcome in start with uh, his uh, definition of culture and how um, and take it away, enlighten us, and then we'll have a chance to ask him a lot of questions and you'll have a nice surprise for all of us at the end. Go for it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Elena. So uh, what I thought I would uh, uh, talk to you about um, this afternoon, morning, evening, depending upon where you are, is um, the whole gambit of, of corporate culture. And you know, the biggest challenge with culture is that everybody talks about it. Uh, all of you uh, are leaders of what you do, your coaches, you work with leaders. Uh, I, I don't think I, I can remember one conversation that I've ever had with a leader over 44 years of doing this type of corporate transformation work that the, the subject of culture didn't come up somewhere. And the challenge with it is not that it's not a popular subject, it's that everybody talks about it and believes yeah. that they know what it means, but it means something different to everyone. And uh, to this day, I have not found any leader who has ever looked up the definition or even Googled the words corporate culture because they already, they already believe that they know what it means. So just to kind of set the framework right, um, uh, I did the work for you, you don't need to Google it. If you Google corporate culture, and it may have changed, this was a while back, but you're gonna get two definitions. Uh, one from Cambridge, uh, those of you in the UK would know for well, one from Harvard. And if you boil the two down, you see them on the screen. It's the beliefs that govern how people behave at work. So if someone believes my boss is a jerk or my boss is a problem or uh, my boss is a terrible tyrant, then they're going to behave totally differently than someone who believes the opposite. Uh, so culture then, whether it's in your family, uh, you'll see in a second that we even have a personal culture uh, or whether it's at your job or whether it's you interacting with a client, uh, the culture of the individual, of the organization, of the family, of the community is the beliefs that govern how they behave within that given cultural situation. So if you look at the graphic on the screen, you'll see that in the top uh, left-hand square, you have the graphic of the, the national or, or state or province capital, depending on what, where you are in the world. Um, so we all have a national culture. In this country, in the US where I live, uh, our, our population comes from every place. And because we come from every place, then everybody has a different national culture. And 
their national culture is based upon the beliefs, the customs, the ideas, the points of view, the global worldview from wherever it was that their family came from. Uh, and then you go home and you have the house here, which is a family culture. Everybody has a different family culture. Uh, now you really start to see these become obvious around the holidays. Whenever families get together for whatever holiday you celebrate in your uh, nation or your country or your culture where you live. And uh, there's always the collision between the different cultures from different backgrounds, whether it be a family culture or whether it be a national culture. Uh, and you see it around the holidays because that's when families get together. Plus you put that together with the fact that almost every family has uh, an uncle who drinks too much and gets out of control uh, or an aunt who um, has a hard time not gossiping about everybody, but we tolerate them because we love them and they're our family. But you can start to see again, how it's these different beliefs of various people getting together that and how they act because of those beliefs that identify the culture. Then we go to work and we have a corporate culture and that's the way things get done around here where we work. You know how these customers are, you know how uh, that boss is when they're under pressure. And in the center, we've got the blue circle, which we call our personal culture. So our personal culture is a combination of all three of these. And it's the beliefs that govern how we think, how we act, how we behave in any given situation. Now, the problem with this, um, Elaine is a psychologist, so she could tell you that uh, approximately 90% of everything that we believe is subconscious. We don't know that we believe that. We, we just do it. We just, this is the way that it is. And you've seen this a lot, uh, most recently all over the world, especially in, the, in America, with all of the political clashes that happen between the different ideologies and the different beliefs. And we all have beliefs that we don't know that we have that govern how we behave, they're subconscious. So in essence, if we're talking about corporate culture, we're talking about the collective beliefs of any, any group. It could be a corporation, it could be a family. The word corporate literally means together or group. It uh, could be a synagogue, a church, you name it, a community. It's a group of people when you put all of their beliefs together and those beliefs together govern how they act, how they think, how they behave, how they interact or don't interact. This makes sense. So yes. culture, now you know what culture really means. It's the beliefs that govern how people behave. Now, so on the next slide, uh, this is a short video that uh, we got from uh, National Geographic Brain Games. They do a wonderful job on that show. You can watch it on Netflix um, of, of taking scientific experiments about people, about organizations, about situations, about how our brains and our minds work and making them applicable and understandable in a meaningful way. Now, if I, if, uh, I think I've got the video control, uh, control set properly so yeah. you can, as you watch this video, you can hear the audio behind it because this was a um, show that they aired a year or so ago that did the most amazing job with the experiment that they uh, will show you in the video of defining what the power of a culture really is. So let's watch it. And if for some reason you can't hear the audio, start wait, waving your hands at me and we'll stop it and find a way to make you hear it. Here we go. Take a look at this crowded waiting room. 
These people may appear to be waiting for the eye doctor, but they're actually waiting for the first test subject in our hidden camera experiment. And here she is, right on time for her 12 o'clock appointment. Hi, how are you doing? This woman thinks she's here for a free eye exam. Have you been here before? No, it's my first time. What she doesn't know is that everyone else in this room is working for us. They'll be with you in just a couple minutes. Today, we're running an experiment on social conformity, and the test starts now. Did you hear that? These people sure did. It froze. Oh, it sure did. Okay, hold on a second. Let's get it going. Is that better? Good. It doesn't take long for our test subject to notice a pattern. Beep means stand up. But why? And if you were in her shoes, what would you do the next time the tone sounds? While you might think you make your decisions all on your own, when it comes to peer pressure, all too often, your brain is just following the crowd. marching in formation like my friends here, oh. or putting on a suit and tie to go to work, it pays to fit in with the crowd. But just how far will your brain go to be part of the team? To answer that question, we set up a hidden camera experiment to see if this woman would stand up at the sound of this tone, simply because everyone else is. You might be thinking you'd never go along with this. Or would you? After just three beeps, and without knowing why she's doing it, this woman is now conforming perfectly to the group. But what happens if we take the group away? Elaine, please. Okay, now she's alone, the crowd is gone, and nobody is watching her, except our hidden cameras. What do you think she'll do? She's now conforming to the rules of the group without them even being there. Now, watch what happens when we introduce another outsider who doesn't know the rules. Have a seat and they'll be out in just a couple minutes. Great, thanks. thanks so much. Think she'll teach the new guy what to do? We kept the cameras rolling as more unsuspecting patients arrived.
and slowly but surely, what began as a random rule for this woman has now become the social norm for everyone in this waiting room. Here to explain what's going on in their brains is Jonah Berger of the University of Pennsylvania. This sort of internalized form of herd behavior is part of what we call social learning. Starting at a very early age, when we see members of our group perform a task, our brains literally reward us for following in their footsteps. When I saw everybody stand up, I felt like I needed to join them. Otherwise, I'm like excluded. Once I decided to go with it, then I felt much more comfortable. Conformity is how we become socialized, but it can also cause us to develop bad habits or repeat past wrongs. And it's why even this rebel, who wasn't standing for any of this nonsense, eventually joined the ranks. And the only thing more shocking than seeing how easily conformity affects the way you act is that similar forces are subconsciously shaping the way you think right now. So how powerful is culture anyway? It's very powerful. When uh, you're applying this phenomena of how people just seem to somehow get absorbed into whatever the dominant culture is, uh, you will see it in just about every situation or circumstance where it involves people. If you're operating a business or if you're coaching or consulting with a business leader, uh, especially since today's virtual world has emerged in the pre, mid, post COVID scenario, wherever you are at your place in the world, uh, what you're gonna find that's in common is today's premier organizations are not just talented and engaged teams, they're fast, they're diverse, they're mobile, they are quick to change, highly innovative, totally unified as a team, they hate losing and they love to win, and most of all, they're relentlessly committed to excellence. Now, if you look at all nine of those items, uh, you will basically see a set of nine beliefs that make up the formula for an organization that's maximum in terms of its effectiveness. Now, when you take what it takes today to not just survive, but to compete and to win and compare it against the changes that have happened uh, in our larger national and global cultures in the last, let's say 10 years, uh, we've got a shift from talent. It's not no longer about who can hire the most talented individuals it's who has the most diverse team. And if you have a better team than your competitor who may have more talented individuals, uh, the most effective diverse team always wins. Uh, leadership has shifted. It's no longer top down who has the most authority and who can yell the loudest to get people to move. It's about interaction and participative. And the Gallup organization has uh, changed the world with its employee engagement surveys and studies. Uh, we've had a compensation shift, especially if you have uh, Generation Z or millennials working in an organization where it's no longer about who can offer the best wages and benefits, it's who can offer 
the position that provides the most enjoyment. And especially with uh, millennials and Generation Z, you're going to find all the research is very clear. Uh, younger people would much rather work in a great culture that has their back with a leader who they respect and like. And it beats out higher wages and better benefits all the time. Uh, and if you look at the primary reason that people leave, uh, the number one reason is they hate their boss. Uh, the number two reason is they hate the culture. And uh, the more of the millennial and Generation Z, now it's over 50% of our workforce, uh, the more millennial and Generation Z participants enter the workforce, the more you see this happen. Fourth, you've got a culture shift from engagement to transformation. It's no longer about who is the, has the most engaged workforce. It's about who has the workforce that not only is engaged, but that can transform quickly, move on a dime, as we said earlier, fast, diverse, mobile, quick to change, highly innovative, totally unified team who hate losing and love to win. And then finally, we now have a geographical shift. Uh, it's no longer uh, centralized, it's centralized to virtual. And in many cases, as organizations are starting to come back to work, uh, it's the combination between centralized and virtual. And I have my own theory I don't think we'll ever get back to, even if there is no more COVID or no more pandemics or no more safety crisis. Um, I talked to too many CEOs and too many uh, CFOs of large companies that employ huge amounts of, of, of employees who have seen the phenomenal cost savings that come from a virtual workforce compared to the big expensive corporate headquarters and the effectiveness of how uh, people have adapted and changed and figured out ways to work from home and home offices and do it virtually more effectively than ever before. In our company, uh, we're in the midst of doing a culture transformation process that's two years long for the Puerto Rican division of Toyota. And uh, we're headquartered in Dallas, Texas. And we have people who live in Florida, who live in Seattle, uh, who live all over. And yet the clients that we're working with on a regular basis are in Puerto Rico. And guess what? Uh, virtual is now working better than it used to work when we were in person. So uh, we're in a virtual world where everything has changed. And the only thing that you can count on for certain uh, is that change is gonna happen. It's gonna be unpredictable. And whoever's the most ready for it is gonna win. Uh, over the years, we've been able to, with all of our research, and literally thousands of leaders and companies that we've served identify 10 crucial elements of an excellent culture. Uh, and these 10 crucial elements, depending upon, again, remember these elements are all beliefs that people have about the organization that they work with or in. It's the beliefs that govern how people behave that within these specific 10, what people believe about these 10 items make all the difference between how effective, how successful you are or are not, or where you fit between are not and really are. Uh, and these are in no particular order of importance. They all have pretty much equal weight and they, they change in terms of level of, of uh, effectiveness or power uh, or intensity from organization to organization. But the first one uh, is essentially your team's core beliefs about change and innovation. 
Do you have people who love change, who embrace it because they see that it's all about who can invent, who can create, who can win by coming up with a better idea than the competition? Or uh, do they avoid it because it's painful and uh, do everything they can to slow down the change or something in between? What do they believe about accountability? Is it heavy-handed bosses that are holding people accountable, you know, poking them in the chest, uh, demanding that, that this is what you do and it's my job to hold you accountable for this? Or is it team members who raise their hands and leaders who can get team members to raise their hands and say, you know, can I volunteer to be accountable for that? Would you please hold me accountable or anything in between? Uh, what do your people believe about their own identity and importance? Uh, what do they see as their value in the larger organization? And what is their purpose, especially again with millennials and Generation Zs, where their purpose and fulfilling their purpose in life is the most dominant driving force of everything that they do? Uh, and what do they believe about their own ability to be a part of a team where they work and live out their identity and be valued and celebrated rather than tolerated? Fourth, what do they believe about handling problems and emergencies? Is it the culture where everybody needs to wait for someone with authority to come solve the problem with this customer? Or is it the culture where uh, the janitor or the receptionist is sensitive to the needs of every customer and have the confidence and the ability and the authority to get a problem handled, even if they have to go to someone else and ask them? What do they believe about leadership's effectiveness? Uh, do we have leaders or do we have managers? And is it just management by walking around or is it real leaders who inspire people to follow them? My definition of a leader is very simple. Uh, look, look behind you and if people are following, you are one. If they're not, then you're not. Uh, one of my, um, our, our advisory board members is a, a PhD industrial organizational psychologist who trains industrial organizational psychologists at the university. And a few years ago, they, they had somewhere between 70 and 80 master's and doctorate level candidates in industrial organizational psychology every year that they graduate. And for one whole year, all the master's and doctorate level candidates took on one problem. And it was the, are leaders born or are leaders made dilemma. They studied every piece of research, every book that had ever been written on the subject, every academic paper that had ever been written, every study, every survey, uh, guess what they found out? It's both, uh, that leaders are born and leaders are made. Some people uh, just have a natural charisma that inspires others to wanna follow them. Others just don't have that and people don't follow them naturally, but that doesn't mean that they can't learn how because leadership is not just an art or a gift, it's a science as well. And if you're really good, you have a natural gift and you know how, both. Six, uh, what's, what do they believe about leadership development? Are we always looking for people to hire from outside or do we develop our leaders from within or anything in between? What do they believe about their potential and ability to do their jobs? Do they believe we're overworked and we're underpaid and we can barely get by or do they believe we just need to learn more in order to do more uh, or anything in between? What do they believe about team unity and diversity? Uh, today, we're in a season where uh, the national cultures, as well as the corporate cultures, are all about diversity. The term diversity and inclusion has 
taken on a whole new meaning. But the problem with diversity and inclusion, at least based upon all the leaders that we've spoken to, is uh, it really, diversity is a great thing, but inclusion doesn't work because who wants to be included? Uh, anyone who ever went through primary school or elementary school where teams were chosen from among the students, nobody ever wants to get picked last. We don't wanna to be tolerated or accepted because we're different. We wanna be celebrated. We don't wanna be included. We wanna be celebrated. Uh, had the opportunity to interview a, a world-class professional basketball, basketball coach the other day, Dell Harris. Uh, Dell has uh, coached internationally. Uh, he's coached five NBA teams. He coached the Puerto Rican national team, the Chinese national team, um, you know, several other Olympic level basketball teams. And when I asked him the question, what do you think, what do you feel about diversity and inclusion, Dell? He said, I really believe in diversity. Uh, but he says, uh, I don't buy into inclusion because it doesn't work. Uh, that the only color that matters when you're on a basketball team and you want to win is the color on each team member's jersey. That it's about cultures of unity that celebrate diversity because diversity without unity is chaos. And we've seen it, we've seen it on the street. Uh, we want cultures of unity that celebrate diversity. That's what works. Uh, what's our view of competition? Is that the, like the, the sports team, the NFL team or the football team, the soccer team in the preseason where everybody is competing against each other to win the coach's favor and stabbing each other in the back so they can be on the team? Or is it about the team in the postseason where we're extremely competitive, but it's all of us together against our competition? Uh, or anything in between. And then finally, what, is, what do our people believe about handling problems and mistakes? Uh, is it difficult for us? And are the, there are these problems that we've had for years that we just can't solve? Or do we believe that we just need to learn more in order to overcome these mistakes and handle these problems? So if you look at these 10, these 10 uh, make up and what people believe within a culture make up the difference between high performance, low performance, Excellence, mediocrity. Now, uh, time for a pop quiz. Uh, let's see how much you've learned. First question is a true or false, and I'll, uh, you can raise your hands to answer. Uh, true or false? Yeah. Most leaders who believe that we have a pretty good culture around here have an excellent culture. Who says true? Raise your hand. Who says false? That's not true. Most leaders who believe yeah, who, who, who won't raise your hand no matter what question I ask? <laughs> oh, one honest, one honest person on the whole conference. One honest person on the whole conference. Thank you. Well, the answer is false. Um, most leaders who believe we have a pretty good culture around here don't have an excellent culture. Because when you believe we have a pretty good culture around here, you develop a mental barrier, a mental blind spot to anything. It's kind of like... Um, uh, no one believes their baby is ugly, but there are ugly, ugly babies in the world. But when we love our own children, none of us believe our baby is ugly. So we develop, you know, blind spots that psychiatrists call scotomas, mental barriers. So when a leader believes we have a great culture around here, 
They don't see what's wrong with it. Uh, next question. This is a multiple choice. A lot of answers. An excellent or high-performance culture is one where corporate values are well-defined and posted everywhere. The working environment is warm, comfortable, and inviting. All employees can recite the corporate mission statement. Millennials love to work there. Employee engagement scores are high. Employees are loyal, happy, and trust each other. All of the above or H, none of the above. Who says A? Who says B? C, D, E, F, how about G? All of the above? How about H, who says none of the above? Uh, well, the correct answer is none of the above. You could have all of those items, great values posted everywhere, God, mom, and apple pie values. Did you know that Enron's first corporate value was integrity? Integrity. Uh, one of my colleagues, Dr. Al Arisman, who a uh, good friend interviewed the whistleblower at Enron, the big global corporation that uh, went bankrupt, the executives went to jail, investors lost their money, tens of thousands of people lost their jobs, uh, told us the whistleblower, he interviewed the whistleblower, the whistleblower told us that the reason that en Enron, whose first corporate value was integrity, went down because of shady dealing and bad integrity was because of an unwritten corporate value. Remember, the culture is the beliefs that govern how people behave at work. And they had an unwritten corporate value that was practiced every day by every leader. It was never written in the corporate mission statement or in the corporate values, but it was the living out of that value, that unwritten value that took Enron down. You know what it was? Positivity. Now, how can something as lovely as positivity cause a huge global enterprise to go bankrupt, executives to go to jail, shareholders to lose billions of dollars and tens of thousands of people lose their job. Because anytime someone came into the C-suite, the executive offices with bad news or a problem, they were shouted down because we're a positive culture around here. We don't do all that negative stuff. So pretty soon people stop sharing the bad news. And when people stop sharing the bad news and you can't see the bad news and you're blind to it, uh, we find that at X1 Cultures, we serve leaders who have something wrong, but don't know they have it, uh, which is pretty much everybody. We all have something wrong. Uh, every leader has something wrong. Uh, the problem is when we don't know we have it, we can't correct it or we can't fix it. But we, when we can find out what it is and we can correct it, then we can make big results happen. So uh, what you see on the screen, and I mean, there's lots of studies and surveys and we can send you more information. Uh, this is a, an opportunity that for uh, Elena's clients and friends, uh, we're making available uh, to any of you who want to take advantage of it, uh, free of charge, pro bono, uh, as a courtesy for Thanks. showing up. Um, the uh, Culture MRI basically is an online instrument that you can complete or any leader can complete in 10 minutes or less. Or if you have a lot of people, uh, we can set it up where you can do it anonymously and people can complete it. Uh, and it assesses the belief systems or where uh, the leader views the vision or this blue column measures the desired. So it's gonna ask you the same question in multiple choice twice. Once to pick the culture you desired, 
like we said, accountability. Do I desire a culture where everybody is raising their hands and asking to be held accountable? Uh, then I pick that answer uh, compared to how is it really? Well, uh, we talk about accountability all the time, but people are usually avoiding it as best they can. And so the instrument will measure your vision or whoever you have complete its vision uh, against the database of these green 100% of our best of the best cultures that really work and have proven through years of research and experience to do so. And then it will also measure in the lime green category what the vision is and identify the gaps. So when you use it, it's really easy to get through a lot of conversation in just 10 minutes and identify what it is that, what is it that we have that really needs to change. And you can get there at you know the link you see on the screen, excellentcultures.com slash MRI. Uh, okay, let's take uh, let's questions. Questions, comments, observations. Uh, I'll do my best to answer any question you might have and yeah. whatever I can't answer, then Elena, she can answer them because she knows everything. Oh, thank you, Steve, you're the expert. So Dr. Burus is asking, how do you determine the unwritten belief? Yeah, great question. Uh, we, we use um, uh, scientific assessments and tools. Uh, this is one of them. This is one that we developed over the years that uh, can be administered um, by way of, you know, online either, um, you know, for a single leader or for a whole organization when they complete it anonymously. And what we find, and, you know, there's a lot of research behind this, is when, you know, people are asked to answer questions anonymously for the intent of improving the organization. Uh, and they know that their answers are safe and it's presented in a fashion of, you know, I, I'm the leader and I really want to help uh, build the culture that you all want to work in and be a part of. Then people answer, answer very honestly. And then the data basically tells us by way of the assessments. And then we have other scientific assessments that we license from scientists who have created them but the assessments do a really good job of getting you real close. So let's say you take an example of uh, that competition culture. Competition is a really good thing. Uh, but if you have too much of it and your team is competing against each other instead of against the real competitors, it can destroy an organization. So it gets us really close and it will tell us, well, is there a competitive culture that's over competitive? And then it, that doesn't necessarily that will identify the behavior or the outcome that people see. Uh, but once you have the behavior, uh, it's pretty easy to um, ask the right questions that identifies what people start to believe. And then ultimately, uh, when you can find uh, you know, what people believe and equip them with the tools to change what they believe and it's something that they wanna do, uh, cultures can change fast. Let me give you an example. Um, not long ago, uh, one of our uh, clients is a uh, a trucking company in Alaska. Um, they're a billion dollar family business. And this was a division of that billion dollar family business. And they had a big problem with employee engagement. And uh, the CEO was a very passionate leader at about 225 employees. He, he would get low engagement scores. And he took one full year to interview every single employee. The CEO interviewed every employee, all 225 employees, just to learn what was the problem, and then did his best to implement what he learned, uh, they went up one point. Uh, when he deployed our process, um, it identified what was going on below the surface, and they had a big transformation in a very short period of time, but 
uh, we're, we're not here to talk about the process. We're here to answer the question. So what we found was that the, um, the drivers who were distinctly different, the drivers in the dock hands, the hourly workers who did the work, had very strong behavior in the area, and this came out through the assessments, in the areas of opposition and avoidance. So in an opposition culture, uh, either people feel like they have to fight to survive, or they just love to fight. And then in avoidance culture, people avoid conflict like it was a plague, they sweep it under the table till it burns a hole in the table, and then they cover the hole and it burns a hole in the cover. So they had both, high opposition, high avoidance. So these are people going home from work every single day, frustrated, stressed out, upset, um, you know, uh, drinking whatever they need to drink to get peaceful, yelling at the kid, kicking the dog, and then come back to work and do it again the next day. When we identified that and started talking to the drivers about what do you think is causing this? And you've all said you don't want it. They had vivid memories of managers who did the labor negotiations years ago, who not only no longer were with the company, they were dead, uh, but they still had vivid memories of those experiences and developed those beliefs that we have to fight to survive around here. So uh, in answer to your question, uh, the assessments help us identify what are the core behaviors. Then once you can zero in on those, uh, my favorite Einstein quote is, is uh, if someone gave me 60 minutes to answer a problem, I would spend the first 59 minutes trying to figure out what the right question to ask is. So it's about finding out, you know, boiling it down so that you can ask one or two questions that get you to the core of what's going on. And the people always know what it is. They just don't think they know what it is. They don't realize it because it's subconscious. Did that answer your question? You're on mute. Great, great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Any any others? Okay. Uh, yeah, I've got a quick question. So uh, it's actually about the section where we touched on um, whether leadership is born or made, and the answer coming up overwhelmingly as both. Yeah. Um, by both. The, uh, can I just clarify, that does not mean either or. That means exactly. if, a, if a person is not born to be a leader, they really may be barking up the wrong tree doing 10 years of leadership training. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, you, you always have the right, you know, right seats on the bus and square pegs and square holes and round pegs and, and round holes. Um, uh, that obviously you want the most talented individuals in the right position in order to have the most effective team. And, you know, and talent is something that is genetic and it's God-given and you're born with it. Uh, but um, depending upon what the talent is, uh, it can always be developed. So ideally, if, if you're looking at leadership, uh, well, let me first talk about the challenge that we see in most organizations today. There's a crisis at the entry-level management position. And the crisis is because uh, where entry-level managers come from is from within. They're typically promoted. Someone does a really good job on a food line preparing food, and then they become the restaurant manager. Someone does a really good job in sales, they become the sales manager. And uh, if they're a natural leader, then they lead well and it works. If they're not, then they can only resort. If people don't follow them naturally, they're going to resort to three methods. Uh, the first is usually command and control, uh, shouting at people to get them to do it. That stopped working 10 years ago. The second is usually micromanagement, 
Uh, if they don't do it because I shout at them, let me follow them around all day long and look over their shoulder and correct everything and tell them what to do uh, all the time, every day. Uh, and then uh, the last one is they finally just give up and try to do it themselves. And, and then burnout happens in 12 months or less. Uh, but uh, what we find is that there are, you know, basic skills that any leader can learn uh, that uh, like, you know, uh, leadership 101. Uh, nobody likes to be shouted at and told what to do. Doesn't make any difference if it's your teenager or your employee. Uh, but everybody likes to be valued and asked their opinion on certain situations and scenarios. And so many of you are coaches. I mean, the first thing you learn in coaching school is how to ask a million open-ended questions in a manner that helps the individual self-discover uh, what's going on and solve their own problem. And, and leaders who are good coaches, whether they're born with the talent or not, uh, coaching is a skill you can learn, uh, can be extremely effective. They're never going to be as effective as the uh, leader who has a natural gift that people just follow them and learns how to be a good coach and ask questions and engage people. Uh, so it, it, it can be a combination of both. And it's different for every organization and every company. But ideally, uh, you want, uh, you know, Michael, our experience shows us, you want to get the people who are the most talented, gifted leaders, and then you want to develop them and help them learn every skill that they can. And if you can do that, that's great. But what you don't want to do is just promote people from within and hope they make it uh, because it's a recipe for at least a 50% failure rate. Totally agree. We have that same problem in Australia where the... Matt, well, we, a survey about 10 or 15 years found out that something like 98% of our managers had no management training. We're always being promoted up from being the best salesperson to being the manager, but it was a mm -hmm. different skill set. They weren't natural exactly. at it, and they lost their best salesman at the same time as getting a manager. Um, so there, there's that big issue. But I think a lot of it is the people wanting to be the manager or thinking it's something special when they really haven't exactly. got any management running through them. It's a, like exactly. a self-esteem title issue. Yeah, exactly. But again, that's created by the company culture. If the, co if the company rewards people by promoting them to management and they get more status, more credibility, um, more uh, finances, better benefits, then it develops the mindset of if you're going to improve or advance around here, you need to be promoted to management. So everybody wants to be, po be promoted to management, whether they're good at managing or not. And most organizations are so busy doing what they do or surviving that they don't have a leadership training or development program. So it's created a huge dilemma. You know, and you can see it on all of the Gallup uh, engagement surveys, you know, where people leave because they hate their boss first and they hate the culture second. In the um, competitive aspect of the business, if the, if the business wants a culture where we've got people who really are striving to be their very, very best, then mm -hmm. you'd also be attracting a lot of people that want to be a manager or a leader that really don't have the born ingredients yeah, to the yeah, train yeah. on top. Exactly. And if you can develop onboarding practices and processes that, uh, you know, can still hire and retain those people, uh, the best one I've ever seen of all of, of the best, and it was a simple system. And I actually learned this from um, the, uh, you know, years ago, we were able to serve the Nordstrom uh, retail department store chain. Uh, my senior partner actually, you know, mentored many of their leaders. And I had the opportunity to meet and spend time at a leadership event a couple of times with, um, you know, one of their former CEOs. And what Nordstrom did 
they had a sales culture because they're in the retail business, but they figured out that if you just let people, if they, you just display things nice and advertise, people will come in and buy. But if you connect them with a caring customer focused uh, salesperson who really is committed to helping them uh, get the best outcome with their shopping experience, their sales went way up. So what they did was they developed a system um, where they hired, uh, they had two hiring criteria, as I remember it. They hired young people with positive attitudes um, who uh, had a good personal appearance and they presented themselves well. And then they put them in their training and development program. And then they, they uh, every month um, they fired uh, whoever the bottom one or two people on the bottom of the totem pole, this, this is, this really happened. And what happened. And then, and then, so if you're on the bottom of the totem pole every month, you get fired automatically. But at the top, they knew that they had two kinds of folks. They had folks who were natural leaders and had good leadership talent and skills, and they developed a leadership development program and they became their store managers. And then uh, they also had folks who were high performers and high achievers who weren't uh, good leaders. They created a career sales path for them and they became uh, and had a way that they could develop as salespeople. And, you know, we all know what, what uh, success Nordstrom achieved before the pandemic hit and before uh, Amazon took over retail space with, you know, online selling. But even one of our clients today is the, uh, one of our executive coaching clients is the uh, brand manager for all of the Nordstrom's brands. And, you know, they're still out there innovating, creating, closing stores, figuring out how to way to do it, you know, how to do it better. Uh, but that, that level of developing people seems to always be what makes sense. Katrina, I think you had your hand up. Was that you? Yep. Yeah, I loves to shop in Nordstrom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, what, what I was curious about, so how do you sell your services about making a better corporate culture when most of the CEOs or the leaders are, think they have a great culture? Yeah, that's a fabulous question. Uh, you know, you, 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 we, should, we should get you to come and train our new, new, new hires. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Uh, uh, the, 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 what we tell our folks is the fastest way to lose a sale is to talk about culture, uh, except in about 10% of the cases. Mm -hmm. um, of all of our clients, I think, you know, over the years, we've probably had about 10% of all of our clients that ever contacted us or connected with us because they knew they wanted to change their culture uh, because most everybody thinks theirs is great, especially if they're succeeding. And the ones who aren't succeeding can't afford you anyway. So they're not really part of the market. <laughs> they're not really part of the market. Uh, but what, what uh, we do is uh, we do a lot of uh, relationship marketing and we develop relationships with leaders in our target market. And when a leader trusts you, uh, then you ask the right questions that are, uh, and they can feel that you're there to serve and not to sell. We don't sell, we serve. And when we serve, people buy, clients buy. Um, they'll tell you what their pain or their passion is. They'll tell you what they're struggling with. They'll tell you what they're dealing with if they trust you. Um, or uh, if you do research and you find out, you know, uh, what a company is struggling with uh, or what it is they're passionate about really doing. Like uh, our largest client is Toyota and we've served them for 35 years. Um, 
Uh, I can think of one leader who we've served in three different positions now, who is currently their um, uh, vice president of operations for all of Toyota and Lexus for North America, Puerto Rico, and Mexico. So it has a big responsibility. But we started serving him when he was the uh, manager of their Scion division. And Scion was their millennial car that they created for millennials. And then they got rid of it because they figured out that uh, millennials were buying Toyotas and they didn't need the Scion brand anymore. But he was the youngest manager, youngest manager in the Toyota senior management team. And, and he was a Stanford grad, um, All-American baseball player, um, uh, played on a national champion team, team won, won the national championship, went to the major leagues, played two years in the major leagues, got hurt, and now he's at Toyota. So consummate team player, natural born leader, very charismatic and really believes in culture. And when we first started talking to him, uh, because another executive who trusted us connected us, um, you know, he, he knew he had a good culture, but he was smart enough to know that their culture was good, but not great. And he wanted a great culture. So in that case, it was passion. You know, he was passionate about getting a great culture and knew about culture. He's one of the 10%. But, you know, we've served, you know, we have a whole page on our website about projects that we've done that always start out someplace else. It could be a reorganization. It could be succession planning. It could be strategic planning. Uh, it could be low sales. It could be employee engagement. It could be improving, improving employee retention. Because culture is so deep and 95% of all, 95% um, of all business problems are rooted in culture, then um, we talk about that and then work toward identifying what the root of the problem is, which is someplace in their culture, then good things happen. So we don't talk about culture much at all unless someone asks us. Right. Great question. I think that's the first time I've ever been asked that question by a forum like this, and we've done a lot of them. So uh, Elena is doing a great job of teaching you. Elena is the best. Yeah, she is. She is the best. Yeah. Plus, she has a smile that's so good that even when she puts her mask on, you can see her smile through the mask. <laughs> you, you, you can. We got she's, the she's the COVID. She's the COVID poster child. You can see her smile through her through her mask. Uh, any other questions uh, yes. that we can answer or respond yes, to? Yes, we're going a little over time. Um, uh, if anybody needs to go, uh, please go. But you must uh, make sure that you take this free MRI. It's not free for everybody, but it's free for you guys. And that way you'll get your results back and you can use this great tool, again, complimentary to you to, um, to expand further, to attract the right teams, and improve anything that needs improvement, okay? So can I have everybody's commitment that you're going to take the test assessment today? Let me see it in the chat box. And we have one call, one uh, question from um, um, Veron. Veron, go for it, unmute. Oh, hi. Hi. My, my question is, um, you know, with diversity, uh, the unity and diversity. Um, obviously, with diversity means there are lots of different differences and and uh, yeah. beliefs. So how how do you manage? What what's the challenge there? That how do you manage them into unity? 
Great question. Um, we have um, a superpower that uh, you have to uh, pay $2 million and come to the advanced course in order to learn. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is the, half, half of that answer is true. Half of that answer is true. Uh, we do have a superpower. Um, and uh, we learned this, uh, we learned this when we had a project that was a General Motors plant who uh, General Motors was decentralizing and they sold all of, they were selling all of their manufacturing plants to their suppliers who then turned around and sold the end product back to General Motors. So they sold a steering gear manufacturing facility in Saginaw, Michigan to a company called Delphi. Delphi went bankrupt and um, renegotiated the labor contract with the, with the union, with the United Auto Workers uh, who is, you know, known as the roughest and toughest labor union that there is right next to the Teamsters. And um, uh, they renegotiated the contract to lay off 75% of the hourly workforce and replace them with new workers at a lower wage. Just And the, and the union reluctantly agreed just to survive. Uh, well, what do you think the long-term long -term workers, um, what do you think they... Um, told the new guys when they showed up, new guys and gals, um, watch out for these guys. They're going to stab you in the back. Look what they did to our friends. And in Saginaw, Michigan, it's a small community. Uh, generations work for the same company, both managers and hourly workers. But when we asked the union leaders and the managers to go online anonymously and answer our uh, culture questionnaire, it, it, this one was bigger than this one. It's 120 questions, this is only 10. It takes about 25 minutes. And when we ask them to answer, our operative question is, if you could create a culture that was so exciting that it woke everybody up two hours early every morning and they could hardly wait to get to work, what would that look like? And they answer it both in words and then they answered it with data. When we got the data profiles and overlaid them between the union leaders and the managers, they were almost identical because we asked them in that case, we asked them, what was the corporate culture you wanted to leave as a legacy to, their to your children? And when it was about their children, uh, it was the same thing. And when they found out that they couldn't agree on wages, they couldn't agree on benefits, they couldn't agree who was in charge, they couldn't agree on anything. Uh, and there was so, so much conflict and so much opposition. But what they could agree on was the culture that they all wanted to work in and be a part of every day and leave as a legacy to the children. It was the same thing. We had that unified platform um, to start with, and they put uh, $5.5 million in cost savings on the bottom line in 20 months and reduced their, their grievances by 1,760% that they only let us report 76% because it was bad public relations for the parent union. So it's uh, what's woven into human DNA. And in in, in Dr. Cook, who's one of our scientific partners out of the University of Illinois, Chicago, uh, a few years ago did a data sorting because we have access to data from corporate cultures in every nation on the planet, every civilized nation on the planet, I would say. Uh, when, when you ask that question, what's the ideal culture that you wanna work in every day in four areas? Uh, achievement, setting and achieving goals, self-actualization, which is continuous improvement, be all that you can be, humanistic encouraging, we value people over tasks, but not at the expense of tasks, and team unity, uh, which he calls affiliative. And those four areas, any place in the world, it's the same. And so when we start every project with that question and the people find out that when, when the culture comes, when it comes down to the culture, 
the beliefs that govern how we're going to behave at work every day. We all want the same thing. It's amazing how many changes people will make. All we have to do is help them learn the skills of how to change it and then do more assessments to help the leaders learn what they're doing that's moving people in the wrong direction instead of the right. Thank you. You got the superpower, Veronica. You know, ask people, <laughs> just ask people what they really want and they'll tell you. <laughs> and, then, and then find a way to help them get it. Find a way to help them get it. And, you know, all of a sudden we have unity instead of chaos. Yeah, great. You know, and, it, and it's, it's, it's the same on any sports team. I mean, it's easy to do if you've got a sports team and a handful of people. It gets tougher when you have more people. But any, you know, we've interviewed a lot of very successful sports coaches. Uh, they all develop their own system that results in the same thing. You know, unity that celebrates diversity. And, um, you know, they love the fact that they have people with different skills and talents and different colors and different backgrounds on their team because they add value and help the team win. Thank you so much. I'm sure I talk too much, Elena. No, you're doing great, isn't it? Uh, everyone, isn't Steve so helpful and so enlightening, informative? Thank you so much. Um, does anybody else have any other question while we have him? Katrina's no. waving her hand again. Yeah. yeah, first of all, it's a wonderful presentation. Thank you very much. It's really oh, you're super welcome. interesting. Uh, I, was saying, I was going to ask you, what do you do to help a leader? Let's say you have to, you're coaching a leader that is uh, leaving a company. He's being hired by a new company. And, uh, and uh, you, the research shows that 40% of leaders fail after 18 months. They certainly do. And uh, they certainly think, do. And often it's because they don't understand the culture. So how do you help them understand the new culture of the company they're going into? Yeah, great question. Um, uh, uh, we, we, two things, we have uh, assessments that we use to help, um, you know, the company identify the culture that they want to build, build and grow. And then ultimately, you know, after we probably work with a firm for a year and they're to the sustainment piece, we're able to boil down their scientific assessment uh, to uh, how, what are the specific behaviors that represent their values? Like in Enron's case, integrity was a value that nobody ever lived because if you can't measure it, nobody lives it. So um, you, uh, but you can measure if someone keeps their promises, that's a behavior. Uh, you can measure if someone practices what they preach or walks their talk or does what they ask other people to do. And so uh, ultimately we're able to help each firm individually identify um, their own behaviors that uh, in, you know, that represent who they are, their values and the culture that they want, um, and then use a combination of 360 reviews and then a process we learned from the U.S. Navy that they use. One of our coaches used to be a, uh, a fighter pilot that would land aircraft, you know, fighter, fighter jets on moving boats, aircraft carriers. Uh, they use a process in the Navy called OODA, O-O-D-A, Observe, Orient, Decide, Act is what the acronym stands for, or ACT or Accountability. And so uh, when people get their scores on their measurable behaviors, uh, then, and again, keep in mind, this is a sustainment process. It's not a transformation process. It won't work if you try to use a transformation, a, a sustainment process to transform something. Uh, after they've already been transformed, the way they sustain it is, you know, we have a tool that we call the measurable behavior scorecard. That's a software platform we built 
Uh, we learned the foundation from the HR leader who built the culture at Southwest Airlines. And it basically allows us to upload the measurable behaviors and the values of a firm and then do 360 reviews on everybody and everybody gets a scorecard, but great. People get scorecards all the time. That doesn't change anything. But when they already know that the low scores are a blessing instead of a curse, the criticism is positive, not negative, because it helps them improve, then uh, they can observe it. They can orient it, go talk to the people who gave you the scores and find out what you're doing that's causing them to give you a 3.5 instead of a 5. Then you decide and make a commit. Okay, I'm going to change this. Uh, and then you ask the team around you to hold you accountable and give them permission to do it mm -hmm. of their own free will. And we even give them little wristbands. We call them culture monster buster bands to where that their team, it's kind of silly, but it works. You know, the wristband psychology works. Uh, they give their team permission to snap their band anytime they're off track and will immediately stop and redirect. It actually helps um, change happen and be sustained. So that's, that's, that's another one of our superpowers that we use to help people sustain their change. Thank you. Can I ask a little bit more stuff? Um, it's up to it's up to Elena. She made me reserve my schedule, so if she says yes, I'm happy to answer. Thank you. Um, one moment, uh, Michael. Yes, um, I just want to make sure nobody else wasn't asked questions yet. Uh, has uh, a burning yeah. question? If not, we'll go to Michael. Um, let me know in the chat box. Anybody who hasn't spoken yet, I see it. It's um, Okay, go for it, Shez. All right. Um, I'm, I'm from a smaller business environment. Mike, I used Mike, to work in... One second. Let's let uh, Shez talk first, uh, since he hasn't, and then we go to you, okay? Cool. Okay, Shez. Yeah. Hi there. Uh, thank you for the presentation. Apologies for the problem with my, um, with my video. I have someone mute only. Um, Thank you for the presentation. It was uh, really, really informative and um, I learned loads. Um, one question that comes to mind for me um, as someone who's kind of recently started my own sort of coaching uh, stroke consulting um, venture is like, how do you manage people um, around you who, you know, who maybe, are, you know, don't share the same, you know, their, their goals maybe aren't aligned with yours and um, and I mean, it happens in every organization, right? There's people that, you know, they're yeah. just there and they just want to, yeah. you know, pay the bills or whatever. And, 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 and that's fine, right? Not, not everybody's driven to get up the corporate ladder and things like that. So um, like how do you kind of manage people like that? Yeah, um, great question. In the, in the best way, I guess. Great question. Well, the way I would answer it is, first of all, you have to recognize that, um, you know, at Excellent Cultures, we're in the transformation business. We're in the corporate transformation business. And what transformation is different than engagement, it's different than management, it's different than leadership, it's about deep change at the soul level. So um, yeah, everybody, you're always gonna have different opinions, different points of views, different scenarios, different goals. Um, but if the goal is unity and the leadership of the organization believes that when we have unity, we can succeed much more than when we don't, uh, then we ask the people to participate and answer that basic question, not about their goals, not about their values, but about the culture that they want to work in every day. You know, the culture that wakes everybody up uh, two hours early every morning and they could hardly wait to get to work or that you would want to leave as a legacy to your children. 
Um, and then once we've got that as a benchmark and we have it with words as well as data that is measurable, now we've got something that we have everybody that agrees on. And we have something that everybody is agreed upon that they're unified on in. And you know, we've done it through all of the you know, uh, anonymous online surveys, uh, confidential interviews where you know, we have coaches on our team who are um, mostly our, our women coaches are really good at getting people to trust them so well that they would tell them things they wouldn't feel comfortable telling their own mother you know, on a video conference or on a phone interview. And then we're able to process all of that so that we have real unity. Uh, and the goal is the excellent culture, not the what's in it for me, uh, or what can I get out of this, or what, you know, what's all about me. Uh, then we have a foundation that we can build on. And we have uh, you know, a training program that helps them learn how they're sabotaging themselves by having a what's in it for me culture instead of a, you know, how do we have the culture that we've all agreed upon that we were unified on and it's amazing how when you have that set point, the vast majority of the people work their differences out very quickly. And we don't even, you don't even have to help them. They work them out very quickly. And then we've got several systems, you know, one for leaders, uh, one for individuals, one for the whole organization. And as they keep getting data that shows them where they are off the mark and how they lead off the mark and how they think off the mark and how they believe, how they act. Uh, and it's all about getting to the culture that we want, not that the boss is telling us to, not that we have to, but we want to, uh, you, you just be amazed at how fast people change and start asking for, you know, show me how to change this and give me help and what can I learn or where can I go? It's all about, um, it's all about the want to instead of the have to. Uh, but again, if you're, if you're doing it on the surface level, um, I would not want to be in the business of having to resolve those kind of conflicts uh, at the surface level because you never, you never get the deep, deep soul commitment that we've been able to get around culture. And people always have a selfish agenda that they're holding on to that they tell you they let go of, but they're just saying that to get you out of the way so they can go do what they want to do anyway. But when you have a whole corporate culture where everybody's working together toward a common direction of common beliefs, common values, common outcomes that they all bought into and own, then um, uh, folks will change the small stuff for the vast majority. And pretty soon when those who don't want to change find out that uh, there's always going to be another assessment or another scorecard that makes me stand out like a sore thumb, um, they either change or they leave and you replace them with someone who wants to and you make sure that your onboarding process presents the culture of the firm uh, in a manner that uh, people will come because they want to, not because they need a job or vote. You know, it's okay if they need a job, but uh, if they if they want a job as well as need a job and they want a culture that uh, is rewarding and sustainable and long-term, then it changes everything. Did that answer your question? Uh, yes, yes, thank you. I think it was yeah, very perfect. informative. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank yeah, you. perfect. And then I think we had Michael was our last one, right, Elena? Yes. Yeah, super cool. I've been interested in human resources and culture ever since doing management in the mid-90s and looking at our issues in Australia, particularly on it, but they're very global. It seems to be the same trends are happening everywhere. I'm concerned about the uh, millennials. At, at, and at 50% of the workforce, that's really interesting. Um, does that 
small businesses account for a large amount of employment. Do small business owners count as part of the workforce in that they stat? Do. Yeah, they do. Uh, they do. And, um, you know, and typically, you know, the, last, the vast majority of businesses are small businesses now. Um, but but the, the driving force is the population. I mean, whatever happened uh, between the boomers and the Xers, uh, I was talking about this on a podcast we did today, um, that whatever happened between the baby boomers and the Gen, Gen Xers, uh, the baby boomers, um, um, you know, they, they didn't have as many children. Um, and then the Gen Xers waited until late in life to have children, um, you know, probably because they saw how messed up their parents were and they wanted to make sure they got it right. Uh, and so they, they waited until later in life. So as a result, uh, we've got a diminishing Gen X, a, the baby boomers and the, you know, the silent generation ahead of them, they're, they're dying off. And, you know, millennials and Gen Zs are basically taking over the world. And they grew up in a whole different climate. Um, and you have a few that are, you know, these young, brilliant, uh, mostly tech company CEOs that are emerging as leaders, but you know, the average age of CEOs is still 62. And if the average age of six, you know, CEOs is still 62, you know, there's a lot of CEOs that are older than 62 that are out there. Um, and as a result, you have this scenario um, in, in both uh, you know, uh, bigger companies that are mostly you know, older generations that have millennials and Zs working for them, but then in the startups and the smaller firms, most of those are either being started uh, by millennials or Zs. Uh, you know, there, there, there's more teenage millionaires in the world today than there has ever been in history uh, because of YouTube and social media and the fact that uh, any, any bright young individual can come up with a good idea and develop a YouTube channel and make millions of dollars if they do it well. Um, so you've got um, this, this effect of the younger generations, uh, millennials and uh, uh, Gen Zs who are taking over the smaller businesses, you know, and then you've also got uh, corporate citizens who got fed up with the big corporate culture running their lives and decided that they could become, you know, a, an independent contractor instead of a, um, instead of a employee. And they've started, you know, uh, independent contractor businesses, which are part of the smaller businesses. But again, uh, they're hiring the, the millennials and the Z's in order to get the job done and do the work. So it's a phenomenon that's out there as much as COVID, as much as virtual cultures that we need to figure out how to deal with in order to succeed and win in tomorrow's environment. That's awesome. Yeah, some very, very great stats and you're right on top of your, the game with the way you're presenting information. I, I've, uh, similar to Katrina's uh, message for you, great presentation. Yeah. Very interested in this still with the, gen, with the millennial stuff, if we've got another minute on it. Um, the, the problem is that um, they talk about diversity, yet they're creating a lack of diversity because there mm -hmm. is a bullying culture in the compliance harmony model i feel uh, and they want to just do it the way that they're happy to do it but that they won't um i found a whole lot of problems working with these guys and particularly in how they're very ready to take on responsibility but they're not really actually capable of rock solid delivery on responsibility 
There seems to be a lot of, um, uh, the loss of a better word, flakiness when it comes to making a hard decision in, in a spot on their own. But they've yeah. jumped the, the high pay packet and they've jumped the position. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, typically, you know, basically what you have, it, it, you know, the older generations, um, uh, you know, if you look at all the studies and surveys, uh, there's all the books written about, you know, it started out with millennials. They're the me generation. They're all about me. There's a epidemic of narcissism. Um, you know, you, you can't understand them. They're lazy. They don't want to work. Um, from my experience in our research, uh, I found that, that no generation has, has a corner on the narcissism market. <laughs> you have, you have, you know, selfish me oriented people in every generation. It has nothing to do with your age. Uh, the only thing that's different that you have for millennials and Zs is they grew up in a technology world and social media and, you know, a, a device on their hand and, uh, and then, then, you know, new apps all the time that, you know, create instant, you know, ADD where ADD and ADHD has become a bent of blessing instead of a curse. Um, but if you can, you know, if you can channel that energy into a productive direction that produces a product or, um, you know, fills a role on a team and, you know, create a team that, you know, um, generates, um, you know, those four things, achievement, self-actualization, you know, humanistic encouraging and unity, um, you can win with, you can win with any generation. And, uh, you know, we had the, at our last, uh, most of our work is done inside companies, but three times a year, we have open workshops, which by the way, you all might want to take a look at taking advantage of. We have another one on June 15th and 16th that can be attended either in person or virtually because it's a live feed webinar that one third traditional training, one third uh, self-study and one third uh, interactive workshops and chat rooms or in person in work, interactive uh, table discussions and chat rooms. But um, you know, the last one we did in February, the last open one we did, we'll have another in June the, um, our, one of our guest speakers was uh, Jack Hollis, who is the new, you know, senior VP of both Toyota and Lexus for North America, Mexico, and Puerto Rico. And Jack shared a lot of his inside information about uh, the culture at Toyota and that, uh, that they started, the company started with the first Toyota creating the company around finding a way to serve his mom because his mom was a weaver and he invented a weaving machine that they could manufacture to make her life easier. So it was founded on a culture of service, but they maintained it with two simple values that they live, um, respect for people and continuous improvement, which the Japanese call Kaizen. Uh, and with those two basic values of respect for people and continuous improvement, uh, you know, and then he cited statistics like you know, they laid off zero people in the pandemic. Uh, you know, they, 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 the company has never laid off a person in history. Um, you know, they, they respect people that much. And, and then he also cited that in the midst of the pandemic, uh, the last quarter of last year, at least in North America, where he leads, um, uh, October, November, December of last year were the biggest sales months they've ever had in history uh, and the biggest profit months they've ever had in history. So, uh, you know, culture runs deep and it's really more about, you know, those foundational beliefs than it is about the generations. Because if you, if you really respect people, 
and you value them and you're, you know, you're a boomer and they're a Z, uh, then you'll try to understand them and try to understand how they communicate and ask all of your open-ended coaching questions um, in a meaningful, patient way. And uh, when the answers come out, you're able to solve problems and get things done like never before. Um, so, I mean, my, my answer to that is um, uh, they're human beings first and employees are managers second. And uh, just become, because they come from a different generation that grew up with different personal cultures based on how they were raised and what they experienced in their life and the beliefs they developed around that uh, doesn't mean that they, they can't do well or that they're lazy or anything else. It just means it takes a more talented leader to uh, find out how to connect and how to engage. Um, and, and those who can, given that that's who's going to be the workforce of the future, um, will own the market. Can I ask one more quick one? Sure. Um, a lot of this is corporate as opposed to small, but I kind of get it the way they feed off each other and it's the big movement we're looking at. How, in my life, I've seen the trend where people stay in their position for less time. Mm-hmm. So anyone that's in their company for five years, that's, well, you, maybe you should look at working somewhere else. Yeah. Now, with this culture business, I take it more and more of the larger cultures, uh, again, I'm not seeing the diversity fully, will be moving towards this consistent, what it's like to be at work in this big culture. It might be a wonderful thing that they all hold, but there'll be similarities. You might work at Toyota for three years, go across and work at Coca-Cola and find out that they've also got some very similar, they may be they've consulted you guys as well and got the similar sort of model happening. So uh, can you move from one corporate to another corporate in a short amount of time within all this cultural work? Because I mean, you're investing in people once you train them and once you build those teams, you don't want them to leave six months later. Yeah. So uh, how does this, how do the stats on job relocating and positioning uh, is that increasing again, that people are staying for longer or companies are hoping that people will stay for a bit longer than the trends in the last stage? Well, everybody's hoping that they will stay for longer uh, and everybody is doing everything they can learn how to do to try to retain employees for longer, except in the industries where, you know, turnover is a positive. Uh, yep. You know, Amazon has figured out a way to in and out onboard entry-level people um, and have done all kinds of innovative things with you know, that when they have a new idea or a new project, they hire contractors first to see if it's going to work. You know, my son works for Amazon. Um, and then when they prove the concept and it works, then they all become employees with great benefits. Um, and, you know, they have a, a, a large amount of uh, any organization, especially in the food industry, a lot of, of students who are just there to, you know, to finish college and then go do what they really want to do. Uh, except for the industries that thrive on that type of of change and turnover, most all are trying to do the best they can to retain people as long as they can, because, you know, you just look at the Society of Human Resource Management Studies, um, the ones that I've seen, the actual real cost of what it costs to replace an individual is between 60% and 200% of their annual salary plus benefits. Uh, but there's no line item on the P&L that says turnover expense, so people don't see it. Uh, yet, uh, you know, the more you can adapt and invent and figure out ways to keep people engaged and moving forward, uh, that's why engagement is an important indicator. The problem with engagement is that the fruit, it's not a root. Uh, you know, you could, you could have a high engagement score and still have a bad culture, 
um, and people could still be leaving for other reasons. So there's a lot of, of denominators, but uh, culture seems to be the core. If you can get the culture right and keep it right, uh, all the numbers go up. It's kind of like the, the tide coming in to the, to the harbor. Every boat in the, in the harbor rises when the tide comes in. And it works back from the goal. Whatever you're trying to achieve, you get a culture that will carry you there. Yeah, I love exactly. it. You've just made my day by saying that, yeah. that everyone wants to hold on to people for longer because yeah. it seems like with all that training and, and um, moulding of young people that to only be there for a short time as the trend that I was watching for a few years just made it all seem like a very interesting high-end investment game. But to keep people yeah. for longer and to work their self-actualization and to bring their best out of them and help them comply yeah. with the harmony and enjoy the diversity yeah. of their input... Yeah. I love it. Great model. Yeah. And, and I think a, a lot of the reason for a lot of the turnover is uh, if you look at all the studies and there's a number of them uh, that uh, millennials are less tolerant of things that they don't agree with. Uh, as I was doing. thinking that as yeah. you were talking before, you know, you know, they're less tolerant of a boss who has low integrity. They're less tolerant because they know they can go someplace else and get a better job with a boss who has high integrity. They're less tolerant of a company who doesn't practice what they preach. Um, and uh, as a result, it's putting a lot of pressure on employers and on leaders uh, to really improve how they lead and change how they lead in order to keep the best people because, um, you know, there seems to be in most economies, not in every nation, but in most economies, uh, there seems to be, you know, more of the right kind of jobs for good people than there is, you know, good people to fill them. Uh, you know, here in, in Texas, uh, one of my uh, millennial age sons uh, just showed me a, an Elon Musk post the other day uh, that he put out on all the social media. Uh, he's hiring 10,000 people in Austin, Texas, and uh, you know one of the counties down south, close to the border. Uh, 10,000 people doesn't care if they have a high school or college education, um, as long as they want to work, he'll give them and pay for their college education. He'll give full benefits. He'll train them how to be an engineer. You know, 10,000 people. And, you know, and that's one company that, you know, basically is a tech company that figured out how to do it right. Um, you know, there's, and they're all moving to Texas just because uh, the environment here, you know, the, is so business friendly and the, you know, they don't have a business, they don't have a exorbitant business tax like so many other states or nations do. Um, you know, economies are thriving where the, the elements are right and there's lots of jobs. Absolutely. Even in the pandemic, there's lots of, and the fact that we figured out how to do it virtually has even made more jobs available. And everybody's always wanted to work at home, but most of the workers I talk to now, they're worn out with, you know, the kids at home and they want to go back to the office. They want to go back to the office at least a couple of days a week so they don't have to homeschool everybody every day. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, My pleasure. So everybody, the action is take this um, free assessment, okay? The answers are gonna go directly to Steve. I get a copy, so, and, and then from there, we can continue the dialogue and support you from there. Yeah, so, and, um, and we'll send you, uh, Elena, the detailed reports for everybody that completes it so you guys can discuss them. Please do that today. And yes, Dr. Burroughs and Dr. Divke, I am going to the seminar live um, but it can also be on um, virtual, so you can decide either or, and it's going to be uh, June 
14. I have it in my calendar. It's the 15 and 16. 15 okay. and 16. And it's in, in North Dallas if you want to come in person. Yes. Uh, if you want to do it virtual, it's a live webinar. It's just if you're in a in a time zone that's a lot different than central U.S., you might have to get up in the middle of the night. It might be easier to get a plane ticket and put your mask on and get here in person, depending upon what time zone you're in. Very good. Katrina, if you want to drive with me, uh, we'll do a little cross-country. <laughs> Sedona, make the best out Just of it. Just make sure it's warm in Texas when we go. Oh, it, yeah, yeah, by the time we, by the time we get to June, it's no. not going to be warm. It's going to be hot. It's going to be hot. Uh, right. Thank okay. you, everyone. Thank you. thank you so much, Steve. Um, I think this is the best mastermind we've had. So uh, great. Everybody, please take the assessment and let's improve our own cultures and the cultures of our beloved teams. So um, we'll resume soon. Have a great rest of the day, the week and the month. We will be in touch. And bravo. Thank you all. You're amazing. Ciao. Ciao. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Later. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Thanks, Elena. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.